When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tints. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. There's something about being in the aquarium hobby a long time, which makes you a bit, I don't know, sentimental, I guess. <laughs> it often doesn't take much to trigger memories of past hobby experiences, good and bad, of course. Sometimes it's seen that fish which you kept years ago, which turned out to be the first one that you bred. Maybe it's the one that you had an amazing experience with. Or maybe it was, you know, the coral that was your gateway drug into keeping more challenging species. Maybe it was seeing a product remembering a now defunct brand or just a pick of a tank that you once created that you really loved. The hobby thrives on history. We collectively love to recall things which take us back to, you know, pleasant times and awesome experiences that we've had in the past. We can look forward while still having nostalgia for hobby adventures of the past. Old favorites, fish, plants, stuff like that, they can activate something in our minds, reigniting longtime passions. Now, I had a very good example of this last weekend. I attended a reef aquarium show, Reef of Palooza, here in Southern California. It was the first reef aquarium show that I've been to since I started Tannin, and that's over seven years ago. I admit it was kind of weird at first, sort of re-immersing you know, re myself in that very different world from which I originally came. I felt a bit alien uh, for a while. I, I was asking myself, had I lost touch? Uh, had I forgotten that which was so all-consuming for so many years of my life and my career? And then it was like, nah, no. It only took a little while for me to regain my orientation. Within just a few minutes, I was bumping into old friends and industry people, many who I hadn't seen in years or had more than passing conversations with over the last few years. You know, usual perfunctory fist bumps, hugs, and old stories started flowing freely. The sights, the sounds, the smells, and the sensations of the reef world, you know, washed over me, and it all came back. It's like riding a bike, right? Switching back to reef aquarium vernacular in my conversations. It just came right back, you know, SPS, GFO, frag, fuge, caulk, skimmer, dinos, words I hadn't uttered in almost a decade. These things began to roll off my tongue with a lot of ease. Old jokes became funny again. Old disaster stories about reef keeping and, you know, mixing the salt at the wrong concentration or adding too much of this or hooking something up wrong suddenly were funny again. And... The corals, the gear, and the people that used to get me all excited did just that one more time. They say that you can't go home again, but I really don't buy into that. I had come home. I mean, I never really left, but it felt comfy and fun again. Everyone remembered me. It was really cool, and everyone asked about tannin. They heard the buzz, and they had lots of questions about botanical method aquariums. It was very, very cool. Now, sure, there's a ton of new tech gear and the usual fandom and buzz which accompanies them, and 
I found it hard to believe that things like euphilia, torch corals, particularly gold torch corals, which we used to propagate and sell back in my days at Uni Corals for, you know, $35, $40 for a small frag, now go for hundreds. I laugh because, well, they never really did much for me, and I felt kind of guilty for seeing multi-polyp little colonies that we sold for, you know, $100 back then. Don't feel so bad now. I didn't feel old. I just felt a bit, I don't know, out of touch. Zoanthids, Ganiapora, Blastomusa, corals, and coralomorphs, which have been captive propagated for decades now, still commanded crazy high prices. That was a bit weird to me. I mean, what exactly made them so pricey? Well, supply and demand, I suppose. I mean, there's a lot of nuance to that, and some things are legitimately scarce or whatever, so it's hard to go into that discussion in, in the two seconds that I want to talk about it. I was on the hunt for a couple of corals, too. For the first time in years, I have, uh, a, you know, I'm setting up a big reef aquarium uh, later in the fall. But for now, I converted my brackish water aquarium, or, or I should say evolved it over into a full strength marine tank. I have a little coral tank set up. And, you know, with that major reef aquarium under construction, uh, I'm still anxiously, you know, wanting to, you know, start playing with corals right away. So I figured I'd stock my little tank, the mangrove one. Um, with a few appropriate corals, which happened to be among some of my old faves from years past. One of them was unabashedly my all-time fave coral, Pasilopora demicornis, one of the most common stony corals in the hobby. It's a, a throwback to my first stony coral reef tank decades ago. Now, sure, Pasilopora is not much of a challenge to keep for most reefers. Many reefers actually consider it a weed. It's long since been cast aside as reefers jump on more trendy, you know, corals, yet it holds a really special place in my heart. It's fuzzy polyps, branching structure, and yeah, bright pink color give me the same joy now that they did all those years ago. Yet, every experienced reefer and coral propagator has kept it. In my career, I handled as many crazy corals as anyone at the time, but I never stopped loving that one. Many others have a similarly nostalgic vibe for it. I figured that I'd probably find a bunch of them at vendors' tables, passed over in the mad rush for the latest hot acropora or torch coral or whatever, and I'd just clean up and grab a bunch of them. I had to search the entire show, literally dozens of coral vendors, to find one frag. Everyone I asked was like, oh yeah, we've had that, or we had a bunch, but we didn't bring it. Yet when pressed, they all sort of professed their love for it too. No one could really figure out why it wasn't more popular than it is these days. Maybe it's the perception of it being a weed, a coral that reproduces readily, in this case, spreading all over the tank if, if you let it. And is this a problem? I, I guess that, that weed connotation is scary. I, I mean, I don't think it is. It's a fuzzy, bright pink, stony coral. I mean, shit, what could be cooler, right? Yet that weed designation probably makes it undesirable for many hobbyists, along with the fact that, you know, it's easy to keep. So what's the challenge, right? I think that my beloved Pasilopora is just another part of that old aquarium hobby story. Once something becomes common or familiar, it tends to fall by the wayside as more unusual stuff makes its way into the market. Sure, if you're an idiot and don't bother to control your corals or maintain your tank, it can you know, pop up all over the place. And again, exactly why is this a problem? It's coral. That's crazy. Yet, to those like me who still hold on fondly to the memories of the corals they love so much, it never ceased being awesome. Isn't that kind of what the aquarium hobby is all about? You know, keep what you love, what brings you joy. You can never go wrong that way. I purchased the one and only frag that I could find of it in like a heartbeat, man. I jumped on that. And I can't stop staring at my little tank with this one ridiculous frag. 
it takes me back to a lot of great memories. And I'm looking forward to watching this little thing grow into an incredible colony and then cutting it up and sharing it with fellow reefers who still remember or even those who have never kept it and just think that it happens to be cool like I do. This sort of nostalgia isn't limited to corals and reef tanks, of course. The freshwater side of the hobby abounds with numerous examples. It's been around a lot longer, right? One of the neatest things about the freshwater side of the aquarium hobby is that the fishes that we play with are often the same species and varieties which have been around for generations. Our parents and probably their parents before them kept these same fishes. When we visit the local fish store, we can see a whole bunch of fishes, many of which we've probably kept at one point or another during our lives. And they not only take us back to our hobby beginnings, but draw a direct line back to generations of hobbyists who came before us. I think that's so cool. When I was a kid and received my first aquarium, which was one of those little metal frame, you don't even really see those anymore, but it was a metal frame, five gallon aquarium. Someone got it at a garage sale and, and uh, gifted it to me. I can remember the incredible excitement it caused. I could barely sleep the night before I set it up. And I think I was up at 4.30 a.m. for a week straight, much to my parents' chagrin, no doubt. After setting it up in my bedroom, I just couldn't wait to check out the fishes each morning. It's just part of, the, part of my life. Like every kid who kept tropical fishes, my tank had, you know, plastic plants, a goofy underwater ceramic castle ornament, some rainbow gravel, and an assortment of fishes that was probably inappropriate, slightly excessive, and no doubt incompatible. My one secret weapon is that my dad was a very seasoned, fancy guppy breeder. So I had a ready source of in-house advice, assistance, and, you know, freshly hatched brine shrimp. Like, right? That's cool. The thing I remember the most about this tank were some of the fishes and the joy and the excitement that they brought me. To this day, I still look at these same fishes with a sense of nostalgia, and they evoke this sense of, I don't know, enchantment, which other fishes just can't bring. I only half-jokingly refer to them as comfort fishes because they evoke the same emotions in me as, you know, comfort foods like mac and cheese or freshly baked chocolate chip cookies or hamburgers do to other people. What were these fishes? Well, let's, let's think about them. First and foremost was the neon tetra. I mean, no other fish evoked the whole tropical fish experience to me as much as that one. It's got the exotic colors, it's a small size, it shoals, it's pretty hardy as it it made it and still make it one of the hobby's best overall fishes. I remember how I felt like I'd arrived when I obtained my first group of six. Like, yeah, I've got a neon tetra. It was a very cool feeling. Another fish I kept from the beginning, which simply makes me smile every time I see it, one that I think I want to keep again soon, by the way, is the zebra danio. Yeah, they swim obscenely fast. They display little in the way of individual personality and shit like mad. <laughs> Yet they absolutely take me back to that first aquarium and never fail to make me smile. They're so old school yet so alluring, right? The glass catfish, now it's known as I think Cryptopterus vitreolus, name changes regularly it seems like, it's a bit more of a serious fish. But to a kid, the x-ray thing you know, it has going is simply irresistible. Of course, I kept the fish completely incorrectly, you know, singly as opposed to a small group in a way undersized aquarium. Yet my specimen, his name was Reggie, was a bit boisterous and occasionally harassed my little tetras. Lucky he didn't eat them. But it was one of my favorite fishes of all time. And this is another fish which I'd love to keep in a proper biotope-inspired aquarium someday soon. I had a real feeling, a uh, real thing for barbs back in the day. The gold barb to me was one of the best. Now, sure, it looks to most people to be little more than a common goldfish, and indeed it is often called that by non-fish types, but the little barbels are on the, the mouth are dead giveaway. And to a seven-year-old kid, they were legit tropical fish that deserved a place in my tank. They still are, and they still do. They're peaceful, they're active, and they're kind of cute. They were a you know, true favorite, and they're one of those fishes that every time I see it, I just have to smile. And then there's the Pristella. 
This fish is probably one of the more underappreciated tetras out there, but it has the distinction of being the first egg layer that ever spawned for me. This makes it awesome, of course. And a school of them swimming in and out of a bunch of kabamba I had in my tank. That was my first live plant after Sagittaria. That used to just like keep me like captivated all the time. If I only had a camera back then or a phone with a camera. I kept some recently. In fact, I, I have some right now in one of my, uh, you know, my uh, botanical method aquariums. And I love them just as much as I did when I was a kid. And that says something about this fish, doesn't it? And of course, my list of comfort fishes would simply be incomplete if I failed to include the guppy. My very first fish was a guppy. My dad used to give me some baby guppies in a bowl to have as little borders for a while. He'd rotate them in and out of his rowing tanks as I grew them out. And I learned the art and perfected the skills of feeding and raising fry because of those little guys. And seeing them mature into beauties was something that I'll never forget. It was really fun looking at the the big 20-gallon stock tank that they went into after I had them in my care for a while and watching them grow those beautiful tails. And it's pretty cool. Now, no doubt everyone who's ever kept an aquarium as a kid has the same type of feelings for various fishes that I do. They're part of who we are as both a person and as an aquarist, and they'll forever influence our hobby. No matter how far we advance in the hobby, the fishes of our childhood take us immediately back to those, you know, those wondrous days of our hobby beginnings, which ignited a lifelong flame of passion for keeping and breeding tropical fishes. I still keep fishes like flame tetras and pristola because I love them. However, they're in aquariums which bear far more resemblance to their natural environment than I ever maintained them in before, and they're far nicer, healthier, and happier than the ones I maintained in the past. Like, not a week goes by when hobbyists seeing pictures of my tanks on social media ask me what fishes they are, and each time when I tell them, they're like, really? Pristella? I used to have those when I was a kid. Even the most, I don't know, bread-and-butter fishes, which I think is ridiculous, seem to have... Uh, this thing where they look better, do better, breed more readily when we keep them in conditions similar to the natural environment in which they evolve. This is not a secret. It's not some mystery concept. We all know this. And that's what's kind of cool. We can still play with the same fishes and corals that we had when we were kids, yet in a more sophisticated manner and still derive, you know, endless enjoyment from them. Love it. Love, let those fishes, those corals and those tanks take you back and, you know, propel you forward in the process. Stay devoted, stay tenacious, stay excited, stay diligent, stay enthralled, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.